0: greats are committed to the process because that's when it's hard. Goals are easy to commit to. But to they show up every day, it's like there's a you have to count that cost. And it like that goal will cost you something. And most people don't want to they don't want to pay the cost uh, required to achieve that goal. And so it's like no I'm going to commit to the process. Like to your point, when you have bad days, when you don't feel like it, when you're tired, when whatever it's like when the emotion of of the goal has worn off, when the emotion of that like motivation has worn off. Like the discipline of commitment to the process has to take over and that's where most people quit
1: hey i'm ashley agel some of you might know me as ashley burkhart and i'm a former d1 and professional softball player who spent a few years coaching in the college game before deciding to put all of my focus into youth softball players and helping them make their dreams and their goals happen for them. It's our job to help them unleash their potential and become the athletes they've always dreamt of. I come from a small city in the Midwest and didn't let that stop me from making my goal of playing D1 softball a reality. No matter where you live, you have the tools to help you thrive, and I am hoping through this podcast to help you get there. On this podcast, you'll learn from Olympians, Hall of Fame coaches, and elite players what their journeys have been like, and you'll also learn from me and my family a bit of our journey through the game. I'm so excited to have you here, so whip out your notebook and let's learn how we can grow in this game together. Welcome to When the Cleats Come Off. Hey friends, welcome back to When the Cleats Come Off. I'm Ashley Agel. Most of you know me as Ashley Burkhart. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. A huge mentor of mine is on the podcast this week. His name's Kevin DeShazo. If you haven't heard of Kevin, here's a little bit about him. He's a best-selling author of two books, one we are going to talk about today, Keep Chopping Wood, An Ordinary Approach to Achieving Extraordinary Success. And his other book is Leadership Interrupted, Daily Inspiration to Become the Leader You Are Meant to Be. He also hosts a podcast called The Leadership Minute, 60 Seconds to Becoming a Better Leader. He also founded Fieldhouse Media to help college athletes, coaches, and administrators to be better on social media, which we dove a little bit into last week with Chelsea Sweetos. We dove a lot into social media, actually. But this is actually where I found him. He was talking to our teams, all the teams at Purdue University when I was there about social media and branding yourself. And I, I was just so drawn to this work that he does. And I just, he's just so great. And you guys are about to find out why he also has presented and spoken to more than 250 college campuses and national conventions over the past nine years. He's really well known (laughs) He's been quoted in places like ESPN, the New York Times, USA Today, and most importantly, he's a really, really cool dad. In this episode, we are going to dive into the four C's of influence to develop better connection and trust with your team. We dive into mistakes coaches are making that are making your team lose your trust, the power of apologizing and owning up to your mistakes, which we all know is hard, but why it's necessary. We talk about optimism and the important skill that we all should be working on and that most of us don't have. (laughs) We also talk about creating better habits to give you a better chance to reach your goals, aka keep chopping wood. So that's what we're going to be talking about. I'm so excited for you guys to meet Kevin. Let's welcome him to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to When the Cleats Come Off. I'm so excited to have Kevin DeShazo in the room. What's up, man?
0: How goes it? Great to be with you.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm so excited about this interview, mostly because back when I was a little college athlete that only focused on softball. <laughs> and then you came to talk to us about branding ourselves, you really blew my mind um, when it came down to branding myself on social media. But also the fun part was like learning how much you know about leadership. And I'm excited to promote your book towards the end of this interview. But before we dive in too far, I would love for you to share your story. You talk about story a lot, you talk about owning it. Yeah. So, what's your story, maybe through the leadership eyes of your life? Yeah.
0: So, I, and I was trying to actually scroll through Twitter to see when I was at Purdue, just to see how long. So, I, I made a <laughs> few trips. One was in 2016, probably wasn't that one. Uh, it was 2016 because so I found your tweet about it. So, yeah, 2016. So, six and a half years ago. Uh, Five and a half years ago. But so my story, you know, I I played sports um, all growing up, went to Oklahoma State, got a degree in computery stuff, management information systems, (laughs) but always kind of found myself in leadership roles, whether it was just like in school organizations, in my fraternity at OSU, like I was the youngest person to ever like hold office, like freshmen didn't get to hold office, I held office, worked at summer camps, became, you know, like, not director, because I was a full-time boss, but like kind of a kind of a summer director over staff. They're so just always in in leadership positions. Got, you know, my first job was in healthcare recruiting. I was the fastest person to ever be promoted. So then I had my own team. And and I hear none of that is like I deserved any of these things. Most of the time I was in leadership positions and I I probably should not have been. Um but it kind of threw me into the fire of like, what? How do you how do you get people moving in the right direction? How do you help people realize their potential? Oh, everyone's different. So what I do with this person isn't going to work with this person. So now I got to figure out this person, and then started Fieldhouse Media. Kind of left the corporate world. Started Fieldhouse Media. Well, first I started my own healthcare firm, failed miserably. Uh, then started Fieldhouse Media. And so, you know, travel the country talking with with people like you, student athletes, coaches, administrators about social media, about story, about branding. And that really gave me a seat at the table to hear like the challenges that people were facing, right? ADs and coaches and administrators, like what's working on college campuses, what's not working, the good and the bad. And I just realized there was a massive gap in leader development in that space. It's not unique to college sports. That's just where I was spending my time. Uh, and and kind of the model for leader development was bringing a speaker rah-rah for an hour, and then everything goes back to the way it was two hours later. And I know that's a, that's a weird thing to say as someone who does a lot of public speaking, uh, but there, there's, mm-hmm. it, it's not, that's not leader development, right? That's inspirational, motivational, but it's all 30,000 foot view and, and there's nothing typically nothing, nothing practical. And so I, I was like, something has to be done here. Didn't know what to do. Started a daily email just to try to serve leaders in that space. Started to get athletic directors who were who I didn't know, but who were reading the email. It's like, man, I love this. Will you come do a staff retreat? I'm like, I don't think ethically I can do that. <laughs> so I didn't have any content. Like I just had ideas that I was sharing. Didn't have a system. Sure. Uh, well, a mentor of mine named Jeremy Kubitschek, he had run the John Maxwell brand for a decade, a bunch of events mm. like Catalyst Leadership Conferences, Chick-fil-A LeaderCast Conferences. He was behind all of those. And he had been a mentor of mine for years was coming back to Oklahoma City and said, hey, here's what I'm working on. Uh, and it's all around leadership and self-awareness and communication and healthy culture. And I said, whatever that is, that's what I need, just as man, dad, husband. Mm-hmm. But like that's what I want to be doing in the college sports world. So his company is called Giant, and they do stuff with Google, with Microsoft, with the US Air Force, Delta, Chick-fil-A, down to you know, mom and pop stores. And I've taking all their stuff, Jeremy and I and we started culture wins doing all of that stuff in the sports world. So with athletic directors and coaches and administrators and student athletes. So cool. That's so fun.
1: I love that. The crazy thing is you did come in and speak to a large group of people with me and I don't know like I don't know how my teammates took it, but like I took it as like, whoa, this is something that I'd love to yeah. do. Which is crazy yeah. because that's how you got into it. And of course we've both like made it into our own niches like I'm in the softball world but I think like our work is so similar yeah. in, in regards to taking the leap not knowing what the heck we're doing half the time but like figuring out a way to perform and and do it well but that's just so fun. I I love that unique story. So you you talked about storytelling yeah. and I think you're a fantastic storyteller. You know who else is a really great storyteller that I hope you're going to geek out when I say his name like I did when I learned that he loved storytelling was Kobe Bryant. Yeah. So I think he said like one of his only goals was like to become a great storyteller after he had played professionally for as long as he Mm -hmm. had. Why do you think that that was like a mission of his? I mean, obviously you don't know Kobe. I mean, I, I don't know. You could, but what makes people want to learn more about storytelling?
0: I think it's just how our brains are wired. Like we connect to stories. Like I, I think those who tend to be the most successful, whether it's uh, in recruiting, whether it's starting a company whether it's raising money for that company, uh, whether it's selling a product, are the people who tell the best stories, and because because mm-hmm. the best products don't always win, right? The best companies don't always win. The best strategies don't always win. But we we are attracted to the best story, right? The best politicians mm-hmm. don't always win. the ones with the best ideas. Uh, they're not always the ones who win. It's it's the one who can connect their story to our brains and our hearts, and so that the stories move us. And and there's a you know there's a whole like function of like how how a story is formatted to kind of connect emotion. You know, movies follow it, books follow it, uh, songs follow it, speeches follow it. And so I, my, my guess is, you know, one, Kobe's just a competitor. So he wants to compete in, in, in any arena. But I think he just saw the value of story. And it, I'm, I, I'm mm-hmm. guessing, I haven't done a lot of research on it, I'm guessing it impacted his career in some way maybe in the way Phil Jackson connected with players, like Kobe was a different sure. player pre-Phil and during Phil and post-Phil. And I know Phil is big into story and trying to connect with players on a different way. So I think it's just, a, it's just one of those things where, um, and, and I think Kobe's a legacy guy. He probably thought he, and I think he said this at some point, he could have a bigger legacy through that than he ever did in basketball, right? Cause he had this media company he put out, there's like short films and books and different, I think mm-hmm. he knew he could have a much bigger impact on the world through story than he did in basketball.
1: Yeah, that's so. I just think that's so unique. And I figured because you're into storytelling and, and communication and connecting, I thought that that was a pretty unique thing that I heard him say on a podcast a long time yeah. ago. But I miss him a lot. So speaking of which, great leaders, they're great at connecting. Mm-hmm. Why is that a thing? Like why, why is that a thing that great leaders, let's say coaches mm-hmm. or leaders on the field, like captains, why is that an important thing for leaders to have? I think being able to connect.
0: Yeah. I think leadership has shifted in the past oh, 20 years or so. And it's, it's not done yet, but it's moving in this direction where we're not going to follow you or listen to you just because you're the boss. Like those days are our yeah. ending. Uh, we're not just going to be compliant for, for the paycheck, for the scholarship, for whatever um, we're going to follow you because we trust you. And we're not going to trust mm-hmm. you unless you connect with us. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, leaders get kind of crazy this well, I don't want to sit around and hold hands and sing Kumbaya around the campfire. It's like, well, nobody said to do that. Like nobody said, make it weird. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, if you're married, you've learned to communicate. You've learned to connect, right? Somehow you connected enough with mm-hmm. someone that they agreed to marry. It's same thing in, in leadership. It's like, you're just connecting because if people will, if people know that you're for them, they'll commit, right? It's like, we don't want compliant mm-hmm. teams. We want committed teams and, and leaders hate dealing with drama well, most drama comes from the fact that you're not connected to your team. So you're you're talking about ideas, you're talking about a vision, you're talking about a direction, but you've not connected it to them. So they don't know what your intent is. Like, are you just trying to do this for you? Are you trying to make yourself look good? Are you actually in this for me and for us? Well, if I can trust the intent, I don't have to agree with everything else. But if I don't mm-hmm. trust the intent, then I'm going to be resistant. I'm going to have a lot of questions and it just creates drama. So the more you can connect, the less drama you have, your team, your family, your organization, then you can actually run after the vision together. And so I think it's it's connecting is just it's just a way to build trust and and true leadership is related or is is rooted in relational trust.
1: That's so interesting. I know there's a lot of coaches that have approached me saying it's hard to build trust with my athletes. Mm-hmm. So do you have any like things that you you t- are teaching coaches right now or even captains on teams like what are ways that teams can build yeah. trust yeah. because in reality a trusted coach, like you don't see teams winning championships and that hater, hater coach, yeah. right? Like th- there's, there's like this, this trust, but also this connection that it, it goes like beyond wins and losses. Mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. like.
0: Absolutely. So think, how do you build yeah, that? We have a tool that we use called the influence models. Like how do you actually build influence with people?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's, there's kind of the four C's to it. So there's character and there's chemistry. So character, like, do I trust your character. Do I trust your integrity? Integrity. Do I trust that you're going to do what you say you're going to do? Do I believe you're a person of of integrity, of character, and values? So, do I trust your character? Chemistry. Do we have a connection? That doesn't mean be best friends, right? Like, we, there's this this misconception around trust and relationships and connection and commitment and great culture on teams. Like, oh, they got to be best friends. They don't at all. If they are, awesome. Like, that's great if they are, but that can't be the expectation. Expectation is that there's chemistry, meaning we can be in the same room together. We can have conversation. We can debate. Um, that there's just a mutual respect. Um, now, certain certain. We'll use sport for example. Certain players will have deeper chemistry. They will have deeper connection. That's okay. But just because they're not as connected, you know, as strong of a relationship with this person doesn't mean there's not chemistry there. It's just it's just different. Different personalities. Different interests. So you've got character, you've got chemistry, then you've got competency. It's like, are you actually good at what you do? Do I trust that you know what you're doing? Do I trust your logic? Do I trust your decision making? Uh, cause if I don't, again, I can like you all day long, but if I don't trust you can do the job, well, I can't follow you. Right. I, you've got to, you've got to be good at what you do. And then can do, do you, your credibility. Can you take your competency, what you know, what you've done in the world, your experience, your skills and actually help me with my problem? with my solution, with my situation, and not just spout off a bunch of nonsense, but can you see who I am, where I'm at, say, yep, I've got you. I know what you're facing. Here's how we're gonna get you to point B. And then here's how we're gonna get you to point C. Here's what the path looks like. If you ha- if you have those two things, then you have trust. Too many leaders focus on the competency and credibility. Well I've won. I know the game. Mm, well they don't have to they don't right. have to like me. They have to respect me. It's like, well that's just you're asking for permission to be a jerk. And and I don't mm-hmm. respect people that I don't like. I, again, I can respect their accomplishments, but I need to respect them as a person. So if you can build those four things, and, and some personalities are, are easier, are, are better at building competency and credibility than they are character and chemistry. Some are better at character and chemistry. They need to work on the competency and credibility. And so how we're wired is going to impact those things. But if we can look in a mirror be like, ah, I, they don't trust my credibility. They don't know, they don't know what I know. They don't, and they don't know that I know what I'm mm-hmm. doing. I've got to be better at communicating. That credibility and that competency, um, but I, it, it's 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 simple, but it's difficult, right? So for coaches, oh, I just, it's hard to build trust with players. Like it's really simple, like it's not complicated, but it is difficult because it takes time, and and too often we don't want to put in the time. It's like again, we'll go back to the marriage thing. Like you, they didn't agree to marry you like within ten minutes. Well, a player is not going to fully buy in within ten minutes. Like it, it takes time because right. they've got to see that consistency in who you are and the way that you show up.
1: Yeah. This is going to sound kind of silly, but when I coached at Notre Dame, I thought one cool thing that we did it before every single practice was we shared, we called it a bird box, probably because that movie on Netflix Mm -hmm. came out. But it was really just like, who's got some fun facts for the day? Like, let's start practice with this. And it's so funny that like everybody would look forward to that. And then everything that happened afterwards, like we probably don't even remember what happened, yeah. but we showed up and we practiced, which is what we do. But like the way the team could bond and laugh and giggle and sometimes cry, like with things going on, it was such a cool way yeah. to just have the team bond every day. Yeah. And like, and, and whenever we missed it, the, the team let us know. They're like, hey, 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 we didn't do our bird box yet. Yeah. You know? And it's so
0: simple, right? I think that's a that, And that didn't, an unique that didn't take way. hours mm-hmm. or It's like, it was just a simple thing nope. of, Cause we, we don't know people, right? It's like, so we just get busy and we know them as teammate, as performer, but not as person. It's like, well, if I, then the more I can know you, the more I can connect with you. And so it's, I love that, right? Simple things that can seem cheesy, but like it actually builds connection.
1: Totally. What are some mistakes that you've seen leaders make where maybe they're losing connection or trust? Like just common ones maybe that you see. Yeah, I
0: think stress causes us to pull back. Uh, too often, like mm-hmm. under stress, we change how we operate, and we kind of. For mm-hmm. a lot of people, under stress, like those relational niceties kind of go away, and we just focus on the work, focus on the productivity, focus on the task, um, and so we tend to isolate people. I think we also we don't we don't take the time to understand what connection looks like for each person. So this isn't you know, no leader wakes up in the morning saying, man, how can I be awful today. Like, how can I lose trust? How can I create confusion? How can I isolate myself from the team? Like no leader wakes up doing that. The problem is they don't wake up saying, how can I build trust? How can I build connection? How can I be with the team Um, to be intentional rather rather than being accidental? And so most leaders, you know, they they don't realize. So we use a tool all the time called the support challenge matrix. And, And people need different levels of support and challenge in order to activate. Right. It's like, and, mm-hmm. and some leaders are really good at challenge. Some leaders are really good at support. The best leaders learn to balance both, but it's, but it's learning to balance both as it relates to the person you're talking to, the person that you're leading. So for example, you're going to need support and challenge different than I'm going to need support and challenge. So a leader can't mm-hmm. treat everyone the same when it comes to support and challenge. Support and challenge is the baseline, but people are plants, right? Like our backyard, we've got I don't know what we have. I'm going to pretend like I know flowers. Um, I think we have azaleas. <laughs> I know there are some roses. I think I heard my wife say hydrangeas. I don't know what any of these things are. But they each need different like amounts of water, different amounts of sunlight, yeah. different kind of soil. It's like if we treated the roses like we treated the azaleas, well, they're going to die. And mm-hmm. we're going to wonder, why aren't you growing? I'm watering you just like I'm watering them. Well, they need different amount of water. Uh, and so for them to understand like what support and challenge looks like for each person that they're leading. And again, I know if, if you're if you're a coach or even a parent listening to this, you're like, that seems like a lot of work. It is. That's why most people aren't good leaders because <laughs> they don't they don't do the work, right? They're not they're not bad leaders, they're just accidental and average leaders. But like if our job as leaders is to put people in an environment that activates them into their potential, like that, that, that doesn't happen on accident. We have to see them as as who they are and give them what they actually need to grow and to activate. And so to think through each player, what kind of support and challenge do they need? What kind of support and challenge do they need under stress? What kind of support and challenge do they need when they've failed? You know, to understand it through that lens, it's just kind of a, it's an easier, less complex way to give people what they need.
1: Mm. That's so well said, and I've even seen captains, or not even captains. I've never actually played on a team with captains, but like the true leaders that stand out to me are doing those mm-hmm. things. They're they're realizing that how I need help after a strikeout is going to be different than her. that's right, and and people knew that when I struck out, don't talk to me, yeah, like for a minute, like give me a minute, yep. because if you're trying to give me a high five and I have just struck out, like. I'm not going to be happy, yeah. you know, and, and because I need my time, you know, but some people wanted the high five, that's right. you know, and, and I feel like the way I've connected most with my athletes is like, I know when someone wants a high five and when someone just needs a second. And th- and that's leadership, um,
0: you, right? You've got to know your people well enough to know what they need in that moment and give it to them.
1: Yeah. And I screw up all the time. Sure. Let's be real.
0: Yeah. And that's the <laughs> other thing, which is a huge point is the other piece of leadership is like perfection isn't, isn't the point, right? Cause we're all humans. Right. We're all going to mess up. But it's like, do the people that you mm-hmm. lead, do they consistently see your intent? Do they consistently see that? Mm-hmm. Even when you mess up, like, man, she's trying. She was trying to do the right thing. You know, communicated that wrong, did the wrong thing here, whatever it may be. Because if I can trust the intent of a leader, that's all I need. You know, like, mm-hmm. if if I don't trust the intent of a leader, then I shouldn't be there. I shouldn't play for that person, shouldn't work for that person. But if I can, if I trust their intent, then you can forgive a lot of the errors because you know they're trying to do the right thing.
1: Yeah. And I think apologizing too oh. is sometimes the hard thing. Mm-hmm. And it's even like hard for me to even like say right now, because there are times when I probably should have been like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Like, I'm really sorry. Let's move on. But that only builds more trust. Oh, Like if you are honest. And but you it's own one of the most difficult things, I think.
0: It's, cause yeah. and, leaders, yeah. and leaders don't do it mostly out of insecurity and the, the pressure to be perfect, the pressure to not make mistakes. It's like the people you're leading don't expect you to be perfect. Like they don't, they don't, they've not put that burden on you. It's usually an internal burden, but they, they Mm -hmm. know you messed up. If you, if you, if you avoid it and ignore it, you're actually making it worse because they, they, they saw it. They know you screwed up just like you would, if you had the conversation with a player, if a player screws up, you're going to have a conversation with them. You're not going to let them ignore it or just move past it. But we do that with ourselves. Like, well, I'll just move by. Like they saw it, like, hopefully they just know that I'm sorry. Like hopefully they won't mention it. We can just move on. But if you can pause it, Hey, shouldn't have said that or shouldn't have said that that way or whatever it is. You know, it's not like you need to give a 10 minute tearful apology. It's like, no, just acknowledge it. I mean, that was my bad. I messed that up. Should have said that differently or should have done this differently. That's my bad. Your influence will skyrocket. Cause like, okay. Right. Cause 'cause again, they know it, but to see you own it. Cause, cause leaders, right. Like leaders tend to to not live the standard that they preach. You want players to have like Mm -hmm. radical accountability and radical ownership. Well, we've got to lead with that first. We can't expect them to take ownership of their issues if we don't take ownership of our issues.
1: Yeah, that's so true. The last thing I want to hit on with leadership is optimism. Yeah. Because this is something where I never realized why I was always the player in the dugout when we were down by 10 runs, like saying, there's a chance. Mm -hmm. Like, if we just keep getting hits, like we can come back. And like, I would annoy the crap out of a ton of my teammates. And I always thought that was a flaw. And then when I started researching leadership and realizing how optimism is actually like a skill, but also like needed to be a great leader. I know you're big into optimism. Why is it important?
0: Without it, we die. Like optimism is oxygen. Like think about it. Like Mm. we, I need to write that down. That might've been good.
1: Um, (laughs) I just wrote it down too.
0: (laughs) It just came out. (laughs) Uh, But, but truthfully, it's like, if you think about, so legitimately anything in the world was created because somebody believed it was possible. The house that you mm-hmm. live in, the car that you drive, the clothes that we wear, the schools that we attended, the restaurants we eat at, the planes that we fly in, what Like somebody believed that that thing was possible. A lot of people actually may have believed it was possible, but they didn't have the optimism. They didn't have the belief that it could actually be done. They're like, man, this could be good. But uh, well, what about? And what about? And it probably won't. Like, okay. Yeah, let's not do it. But somebody was like, yeah, I see all that. I still, I believe enough. That it's possible that I'm going to go create it. I'm going to go do it. So mm-hmm. optimists change the world. They they move us forward. Everything is created because optimists like decided. Yeah, great. I see the risks because it's not about ignoring the risks. Like that's not the point. That's just naive and not wise. But optimism is like you know I, I've taken all that into account. I still believe it's possible, and so I'm going to run after it. For example, we're recording this. I don't know what date it is, April twenty second. So last night, uh, NBA playoffs right? The Grizzlies were down to the Timberwolves Mm -hmm. by 20 points twice in the game. And they came back twice and they won the game. Well, if we don't have optimists on that team, like, and we're down 20 kind of game over. Yeah. Let's, you know what? Let's just finish the game. Try not to have any injuries and we'll move on to the next game. Mm -hmm. Optimists like there's time on that clock. Anything's possible. Who says we can't come back? Who says we can't look man 20 point. Who says we can't come back? It's been done before why not us why not out mm-hmm. and then they go create that and they what they do is they they multiply that belief into other people because if if the optimist has enough influence everyone else is like okay maybe they're right and so that optimism starts to multiply because because all of it multiplies like pessimism multiplies optimism multiplies and so our optimism the mm-hmm. optimist on the team has to be greater and louder than the pessimist on the team Because otherwise that negativity spreads and we we shrink back we quit like you know, you know optimism—it's just—it's—it's it's seen as this naive, like cheesy thing, uh, and it's—it's it's not about being fake. You know, like, it's just—and I have a similar personality, right? When—when when the world ended, when COVID hit? I don't know how much I lost. Probably fifty, sixty thousand dollars in speaking. I was—I was supposed to speak at the Final Four in like three weeks. You know, bucket list stuff. Mm. And my whole world, like eighty percent of what I did was was public speaking. I did some consulting, yeah. did some other stuff. And my wife's like, how, how's this going to work out? Like, what's going to happen? I don't know. We'll figure it out. What do you mean? Mm-hmm. We'll, like, you don't have a plan. I never have a plan. It's worked out so far in life, <laughs> you know, but it's like, but I just believed that it would. And it did. I've had the best two years mm-hmm. I've ever had, like doing a lot more consulting, zoom calls, whatever it's, like. But if, if you're a pessimist, like, yep, I, this is not going to work. I can't do zoom calls. Don't want to do zoom calls. I can't travel anymore. So I guess I got to change careers now and and you mm-hmm. and you give up. It's like so optimism finds a way forward even when it may not feel like there is a way forward.
1: It reminds me of the phrase fail forward. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like one of those where it's like you can either look it out in the face and be like, "Well, I'm done forever and and you will be." Yep. Um, and you and you'll it, regret it, that. When you said the phrase you will
0: regret that. So that's the thing. Right. Optimism doesn't guarantee the outcome. So people listening like, that's not the point. Can't guarantee outcomes. But I can I can deal with the sting of losing. Sucks. Mm-hmm. But like that's life, right? You learn from it. Sting is because you care. If but if you if you shrunk back, if you let the pessimism win, then you're going to have the sting of regret. It's like I can't handle that. Mm-hmm. I can deal with losing all day long. Don't like it, but I can I can deal with it. Can't deal with regret. It's like that's not acceptable.
1: Mm-hmm. When you were talking about how pessimism spreads, it made me think of the energy yeah. by John Gordon yeah. about you know if just just takes one bad egg, you know, yeah. just takes one super negative person. To allow the entire team to fall, but it takes it could take one to for the entire team to rise. That's right. As well. That's right. Wow, that's a really good perspective. Okay, let's talk about this book. Sure. One, I don't like reading. I just want to say this out loud. <laughs> I don't like reading, Same. but I thoroughly enjoyed reading this book. Um, It's so easy to to digest, and for me, I don't want to say what grade level I can read at, but like I couldn't stop reading it. Like I had to like tell myself, okay time to take a break just because it's such a good story. It's called Keep Chopping Wood. And I want you to dive into why is it called Keep Chopping Wood? And then let's dive into some of those premises behind it that make it so great. Yeah.
0: So January, 2020, pre-world ending, wasn't tw- it right 2020, right? I, I should know these things. My yes. brain doesn't work as well as it yes. used to.
1: Um, The fact that we're in, what year is it? I don't even know right now because of how fast time has I almost, I has almost said 2023.
0: It's not. It's 2022. Again, things, yeah. are, go- things are going fine. <laughs> but yeah, so January 2020, uh, I was sitting in our, we lived in, in downtown Oklahoma City, not a historic home, but a historic neighborhood, like 105, 110-year-old homes. And mm. it's freezing outside. And our neighbor actually had uh, a wood burning fireplace, and so I can smell like his his fireplace, and I, and I love that smell. Like my grandparents had wood burning fireplaces. Growing up, So like it's kind of made me a little, little nostalgic. And I'm a weirdo, mm-hmm. and so I'm sitting there. It's like ten o'clock at night, and I Google like how does wood go from forest to fireplace? Like it's not top secret, right? It's like nobody's trying to hide this process. Um, I just didn't mm-hmm. know what it was. And and so what I found out is that. Wood takes, depending on the kind of wood, like nine, twelve, fifteen months to dry out, what they would call for wood to season. So if you take fresh wood and put it in a fireplace, like it's actually still wet. May not feel wet, but it's it's gonna be too wet to right. burn. Anybody who's tried to to start a campfire with freshly cut wood, like you know it doesn't work out very well. It's just smoke everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so same thing in your fireplace, right? It's just gonna cause smoke to fill your house. Um, it may actually just catch your fireplace on fire and do like crazy damage to your house. Um, so that wood would not be, it's not useful. It's not ready. It has to dry out again, 12, 15, 18 months in order for it to be ready for the fire in order for it it to be ready to do its job. I was like, well, that's interesting. So then I was like, well, the wood that he's putting in there, like, that's not new. Like he, you know, he didn't wake up that morning, like, Oh, it's going to be a cold night. Need to go chop down a tree. Um, he didn't wake up you know earlier in the week and look at the forecast. It's going to be a cold weekend. You need to go chop down a tree now. he, he was like 80 he probably was not chopping down any trees. but uh, <laughs> the wood that was going into his fireplace was 9, 12, 15 months old. I was like, well, that's interesting. That means somebody was out chopping that wood down a year ago. Like mm-hmm. they are you know or in, in the spring, nine months ago, when it was 75, 80 degrees, 60 degrees, when they didn't need wood in their fireplace, they were out doing the work. I'm like, well, that sucks. Because then you're out, like, if it was that morning, you're like, yeah, I'm I'm using this tonight. Like, you know exactly what it's for. There's a short return on that investment of your time and your effort. But if it's nine months ago, you're like, what is this even for? I've got plenty of time. And you can easily delay. And like, I'll, I'll do this in December. I'll do this in November. Uh, I'll do this when winter hits. But, but you when you needed fuel for that fireplace wood for that fireplace you wouldn't have had it so that was kind of swirling around in my brain Then i thought that's kind of like culture that's kind of like leadership that's kind of like the process of just getting better and so as i tend to do i i just tweeted that thought out went to bed and told my wife I was like i think i just found my next book now i say this like four times a week because every idea i have like like what I, whatever i just said optimism is oxygen in my mind i'm like that could be a good book title <laughs> so I say this, I say this multiple times a week and she's like, yeah, sounds great. I'm sure it is. And I woke up the next morning and that tweet had kind of blown up, which is just a weird thing to say in general, I guess, welcome to, to our world these days. And I was like, okay, that, that resonated like that, that connected with people. I send a daily email to leaders. And so on, on Monday, I use that story in an email and I don't usually get responses to those emails, which is not the point. Like the point is just kind of encouragement. I probably got 50 responses from, leaders from parents, whoever's on that email. list, like, man, I gave this to my whole team. I printed this off for everyone. I gave this to my son. I was like, okay, that's two for two. Like that, that, that connected twice. And so the next day there's a coffee shop in the basement of our office. And so I went sat down and got here about eight and by noon. It was done.
1: Wow. Really? Yeah. That's how fast you wrote it.
0: Now for those listening who have not read the book, that sounds impressive. It's like a 9,000 word book. So I didn't write like a 50,000 word Correct. book in four hours. It's, it's like eight or 9,000, 10,000 words. So yeah, I wrote it. I wrote it in yes. a, in a How morning many
1: pages. Yes. It's got 54 pages. There we go. Of the content. I mean, it's I like, read. it's like a 25,
0: yes. 30 minute read.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, not for me, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I did get it. I get, I got through it very fast. But I think the my favorite part was that each section it ended with an exercise. Yeah. Did you come up with the exercises when you were writing it too? Or just like the premise of the story? Yeah, so
0: I wrote the story and then went back and put in the exercises because that was that was part of it is like you know, as I mentioned earlier, with with leadership in the college sports world that, or anywhere, it's it's always a thirty thousand. Well, keep chopping what Okay, well, what does that actually look like? And so, to try to put some mm-hmm. exercises in to make people think about their identity and their habits and certain things that would 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 allow these systems and habits and processes to actually take root. Because the idea is good, but to try to get people like, let's bring it down to the ground floor so you can actually take this and do Mm -hmm. something with it. And to make it where it can be used by teams, like, all right, well, let's make, these are team exercises that we can do together. So it's been fun to see teams, whether it's softball teams or healthcare teams or oil and gas teams or global missile defense system teams, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. using, using exercises in the book.
1: Yeah. It's so good. And and as someone who is obsessed with goals Mm -hmm. and, and reaching for something that you want, like, I, I've shared this story many times on the podcast, but like my goal was no matter what, I want to go play softball other day, yeah. which we both know didn't happen. But in pursuit of that, my quote-unquote chopping wood was showing up every day to hit with my dad mm-hmm. because I knew that was what some of these girls that I looked up to probably did to get there. Yeah. And it was funny because when I read this, I'm like literally putting it back into my own story of you know that that story of playing in college, and I'm like that's literally the process. Yeah, It was just keep chipping away. You have really hard days. You have yep. days where you want to quit softball. Okay. We'll just show up the next day and see if it's different. Cause it always is. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just keep going. It's basically like well, the well, premise of it. Well, like,
0: and I had this thought yesterday, I think I probably tweeted this out, but it's like that goal hmm. is an e- easy thing to get excited about, right? Easy to commit to a goal. Yes. I want to play another Dame. I want to yes. lose weight. I want to Get a promotion, whatever it is. I want to write a book. I want to. I want to be financially secure. Whatever. Like it's easy to commit to goals. Like the greats are committed to the process because that's when it's hard. Goals are easy to commit to. Yes. But to show up every day, it's like there's a. You have to count that cost, and it like, that goal mm-hmm. will cost you something. And most people don't want to. They don't want to pay the cost uh, required to achieve that goal. And so it's like, no, I'm going to commit to the process. Like to your point, when you have bad days, when you don't feel like it, when you're tired, when whatever, it's like. When the emotion of of the goal has worn off, when the emotion of that like motivation has worn off, like the discipline of commitment to the process has to take over, and that's where most people quit. Yeah,
1: and right, yeah, and right now we're living in a society where like we want the quick, absolutely hit. You know, we want the quick result, and and that just doesn't exist with anything worth going no, for, ever, in my opinion. Ever,
0: but we've created this expectation. To your point, like that we deserve everything, and we deserve it quickly like we don't deserve anything
1: mm-hmm.
0: like zero, mm-hmm. like other than respect as a human, I don't deserve anything. Like I don't deserve mm-hmm. the work that I get to do. I don't deserve the rooms that I I'm fortunate to be in. I don't deserve for a single person to buy that book, whether I wrote it or not, like put in the work, like I don't deserve any of it. I, I set. So, mm-hmm. so current role other than continuing to travel and speak and, and work with organizations, we're working with OU football is like sports performance. So with, with coach Finables, with their coaches, with their players, when I say sports performance, like not football, like I'm not, we're not coaching them in football. It's mental, it's leadership, it's self-awareness, mm-hmm. it's identity. It's battling yeah. through fears. It's all these things. Well, I sat and watched Brett Venables at their all staff meeting. Someone was like, Hey, how do you deal with like hard days? You know, it's like, it's a grind and you know, you can be excited when you get here, but like, they're going to be hard days. because many Manny goes, I don't deserve to be sitting in this chair. I don't deserve this job. I deserve none of it. So I wake up every day, just grateful that I get to come do this. And it was such a cool message. like, here's a guy who has, I mean, in a, in a worldly sense, everything, right. Got a great job making Mm -hmm. a boatload of money. Um, Mm -hmm. but he's like, I don't deserve it, but that's not, that's not the culture. The culture is no, I deserve everything and I deserve more and I deserve and I deserve and it's like, no, And, and we don't get it quick. You know, I, um, when we lived downtown, when I wrote the book, so most of my world was within a two-mile drive. Like our kid's school was a mile, mm. a mile away. Our office was a mile and a half away. But in that, like mile and a half, two miles, I could drive through and get medicine. I could drive through and get food. I could drive through, like dry cleaning. I could, I could drive through, and get money. Um, I bought a car, like sitting on my couch from my phone. They delivered it to my house. It's like we live in a world mm. of convenience, but it's like. Greatness, yeah. greatness is inconvenient and it takes time. And it's not yeah. gonna, like, it's, it's always takes longer than you expect it to. And so to, to readjust our expectations of like, you know, we talk about Kobe, we talk about anyone great in any field, they didn't get there quickly, they didn't get there on accident.
1: Now you guys get it. Now you guys get why I love Kevin and his work. You guys understand now. A Few takeaways from today. Understanding it's not about you. It's about your team. It's about serving them. It's about making connections with them. It's about building trust. It's so hard. It's so hard to own up to our mistakes, but as soon as we do, we develop more trust with our players and with our teammates. It's so hard and we all need to work on it, I'm sure. But normally it's the hard thing that we're supposed to be doing more of, right? Also being optimistic, it's so hard. It's so hard, but it's essential to get the wins that you never even imagined you could. Think about that. The wins that you, maybe you see other teams like coming back from like 10 runs and they were down by 10 runs. Or like he was saying, like teams are winning when they were down by 20 points in basketball. Like it doesn't just happen. Being optimistic is what makes that happen. We need to, we all need to lean into that a little bit more. So if you guys love Kevin and you can't wait for part two and you're just so excited, um, you can check out his books, his podcast in the show notes below, learn more about him. He loves tweeting just like I do. So go ahead, check him out on Twitter. I'm sure if you send him a DM, he would love to talk to you, but I just can't wait for next week. Stay awkward, stay humble, keep smiling, and I'll see you again next week with part two with Kevin. Make sure you're subscribed so you know exactly when the episode drops. See you next week.